0: What's up, everyone? I'm going to read you a page out of Anthony Bourdain's book, Kitchen Confidential. This is one of the new books that I just added to my book club. So if you're looking for some good new reads, you can head over to my website, kyle.surf bookclub book club and check it out. All right. What do you know about me? The owner asked. This was a tough one. The man had seemed strictly business the whole time so far. What kind of answer was he looking for? How did he expect his future chef to answer such a question? What do you know about me? Did he want his ass kissed, I wondered? Was he looking for something along the lines of, Oh yes, of course I've heard about you. How could I not? Why, every schoolboy in America is aware of your heroic trip from Scotland in steerage, your resolute climb up the ladder, how you worked your way up from piss boy to magnate and created this fine, fine steakhouse where the food is legendarily good. Why, why, I've got your bio tattooed on my chest as a matter of fact. You, you're an inspiration, I tell ya. A childhood fucking role model. Was this the answer he was looking for? I thought not. It couldn't be that. I had to think fast. What could this guy want? Maybe it was just the seriousness of the enterprise he wanted acknowledged. Something like, sure, I've heard of you. That you're a no-nonsense stand-up guy. A man who works his people hard, expects a lot from them. That you've been fucked over by bullshit artist chefs earlier in your career, and that you're unlikely to allow that to happen again that you clawed your way to the top over the broken skulls and shattered limbs of your competitors. Was that what he wanted? Or, I wondered shrewdly, did he want to see if the applicant had any balls on him? Oh yeah, the right answer there might be. Everyone says you're a miserable, Machiavellian, cold-blooded rat bastard with a million enemies and balls the size of Cosbola medallions. But I also hear you're fair. Maybe that was it. The fact was, though, I'd never heard of this guy before walking in the door. Not a thing. Sure, he's got a 24 in Zagat, but that was about it. It was all I knew of the man. To lie, to flatter now, when everything was going so well, it could be a fatal mistake. Proudly, what I later realized must have seemed to be nearly idiotic pride, I answered the what-do-you-know-about-me question, with complete honesty. I stared back into the owner's eyes, smiled, and with forceful determination and complete candor, answered as breezily as I could, considering my heart was pounding in my chest. Next to nothing, I said. It was not the answer he was looking for. Both the owner and manager gave me tight, shocked smiles. They might have been impressed with my balls, but it was clearly outweighed by an instant appreciation that I was not going to be the next chef, nor would I ever be. I'd got it wrong somehow. Oh, they laughed. They were even amused. A little too amused, I thought, as they tidied up the stack of resumes, signaling the interview was over. In what seemed like seconds, I was being politely, if quickly, escorted to the door, being handed the pro forma kiss off of... We have other candidates to interview before we make a decision. I was halfway down the block, already in a full flop sweat from the August heat and the ringer these guys had put me through when I realized my mistake. I groaned out loud, practically bursting into tears at the foolishness of it all. As I realized, exasperated, what this proud Scott had actually asked me. This steakhouse owner, whose end-of-week sales reports probably constituted at least 90% meat sales, hadn't been asking me what I knew about me. He'd asked me a more reasonable question for the owner of a very successful steakhouse. He'd asked me, What do you know about meat? And I, like some half-crazed suicidal idiot savant kamikaze pilot, had asked him to repeat the question, pondered it thoughtfully, then proudly replied, next to nothing. It was not my finest hour. Once again, that's from Kitchen Confidential, which is available on my book club at kyle.surf slash book club. I'm also an Amazon affiliate, so anything that you buy through that portal on my website, kyle.surf slash book club, I will get a small percentage of at no cost to you. You can even use that link to buy future purchases on Amazon. Uh, it doesn't cost you anything, and it is a great way to support me. This is an advertisement-free podcast, so I rely on listeners like you to make donations through Patreon, which you can see on my website, Kyle.Surf. Donating you know, $1, $5, $10 a month uh, really does make the difference, and I so appreciate all of you who do contribute. This conversation is with Ryan Duffy. Ryan is a journalist and correspondent best known for his work with Vice Media, including accompanying Dennis Rodman and the Harlem Globeshotters on a visit to North Korea in 2013. In 2015, as part of a slate of 12 new shows, the Huffington Post launched the documentary series Now What? with Ryan Duffy. I recommend checking them out. They are available on YouTube. And he currently hosts Explorer on National Geographic. I've known about Ryan for a long time, and I distinctly remember being maybe 16 years old uh, and watching one of his early pieces for Vice, which is called The Asses of the Caribbean, about the rumor that men had sex with donkeys in Colombia. And I distinctly remember that story for a few reasons. One was that it's just a great fucking story. And the second was that my big brother was the one who showed it to me. Uh, my brother Toby was like, "Dude, you got to see this," and I remember watching it and thinking, "Like, man, this guy's just a few years older than me, like, and he's just going out and doing it." And uh, I remember thinking, "Like, well, I get to, I travel, you know, I, I travel on surf trips. Why don't I bring a camera along? Um, Like, maybe I could do something like that." So I, I do think that he has, he had a big influence on me. um, early on. It was just one of those things where I I saw something at the right time. And it was really cool to get to meet him in person, very gracious of him to give me the time. Um, And we had a, a really fun and honest conversation. Here's a quick clip from the conversation, then we'll get it going.
1: The chance to meet all these different people with dramatically different Experiences, perspectives, worldviews—like you really realize, like the fucking breadth of human experience is so vast, so fucking vast. Um, like the things that keep you and I up that we worry about are literally alien concerns to other people, and vice versa, right? And and and
0: and hundreds of times over, all over the world. Thanks so much for listening to the show, and please welcome Ryan Duffy. Kyle Tierman here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen, and that being my job. at a right. desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Right. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. Welcome to you. you. But you're good at clicking into it, right? Like you have your life is kind of being in transit and then for these moments being able to show up and convey a message in a concise way.
1: Yeah, it's a weird thing, right? That, that, that as a skill set, that as a commodity, the idea that I can snap in or parachute in—that's like a—it's a weird thing to be good at. I'm not, I, I wouldn't even venture to say I'm good at it, but it's a weird thing to be experienced at because, in some ways, I don't know. I guess it depends, but in some ways it it can feel like you're just like play acting. It's like a method acting thing, you know, where you're like, okay, so this is, uh, this is the part where I get engaged and engagement, right? Like that doesn't feel great. So you don't, which is like a, you know, a, a, a broader kind of philosophical quandary of like, what's the boundary between, you know, between being, good at something and being comfortable with something and how do you make sure that you don't get good enough to get too comfortable and then you stop innovating and you stop paying attention and you just put it on autopilot and you just whatever and that's that can be true of any skill of any job i'm sure right but i I think it has a has a a dangerous edge when when that skill or that job is conversation based because it it, if, if you do it and if you lapse into into something that does seem disingenuous then then you know it's you're ultimately failing. At you don't the want to become if,
0: a caricature of yourself, too. I have yeah. a friend who is trying to sell a show, and and the other guy who was like, "Okay, so what version of yourself are you going to play?" And he's like, "Well, I'm just going to be myself. I'm going to be authentic." He's like, "Oh, so you're going to be the authentic yeah, guy," <laughs> <laughs> which is an interesting way to look at it because you are clicking into a version of yourself. If you're having a super shitty day and you're not feeling well, you can't be like, "Well, guys, hey audience, I'm no. just." not really feeling it today um anyway coral's fucked
1: (laughs) yeah no that i mean that's the thing right and and that's that's why it's not as cut and dry like you, you you do have to this job like any job is a job and it requires you to do certain things and and there is a performative aspect to it right um and and also less even about the 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 ultimate viewer or listener in this case or or whatever and and more so even about the the person you're engaging with like they need to feel that engagement they need to see it on your face they need to understand that you're listening and you need to actually be listening it's not purely performative but you, you know the, i i always say to people like the 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 best advice the hardest thing and the best advice in in interviewing people or 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 conversations or or maybe journalism full stop is like being comfortable with silence, shutting the fuck up and listening and not having that tape playing in your head. That is a natural thing that happens to people that I'm still guilty of where you go, okay, I want this person to know I'm engaged and I want them to know I'm smart. and them knowing I'm smart is very important things because they're really smart. So uh, I know that my next question is going to be about this topic, which I researched two weeks ago because it proved to him that he would, and you're just like, okay, put it aside. Like you don't need to prove yourself. You're here. Now you're sitting with this person, be present with them and listen to what they're saying and, and, and feedback based on what has been said to you. And, and if that means that there's a beat of silence in between the question that you asked and his answer, and then you asking another question, cause you're processing information, that's okay. Let's be comfortable with silence. It, I, you know, it's 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 counterintuitive in in some respect, but I don't even remember how I started talking about this, to be totally honest.
0: I did, and uh, uh, I'm i sorry, I wasn't paying attention to anything you were just saying right there. Neither was
1: I. black <laughs> was blacked out like Will Ferrell that
0: Yeah, it, it was like uh, the monkey with the tambourines in Homer Simpson's mm-hmm. head. Yeah. <laughs> I um I had a chance to interview a guy named Van Jones once. You oh, know who he's that is? Great.
1: Yeah, sure.
0: And after the interview was, I was doing a doc on um on nuclear power. It was a proposed nuclear power plant in uh, South Africa. And I say mm-hmm. that because I want to make sure that you know that I'm smart <laughs> and engaged. And uh, after the interview, I said, D you, um you're an amazing public speaker. Do you have any tips?" And he said, "People think that." giving a good speech is about what you say it's about the moments in between what you say Mm. he was like you know so i could give you an example of this little girl and she's got her fucked up problems in the projects and she's wearing a blue dress and there's black windows out black uh curtains outside and i give you all this detail or i could say there's a little girl she's in the projects and i walked up to her he was like, I didn't have to create shit for you. Right. I just gave you enough the... time to process and create that little girl <laughs> for yourself. Yeah, the cadence. But that's tricky, too, though, right? Because, like,
1: I don't know. Like, that, that to me, you, you start to butt up against, again, this idea of, like, performance, you know? And i I, I don't mean that as a criticism of Van Jones, who's fantastic but like i just mean in general this is like stuff i i think about too is like how much of that particular delivery method if you really like sit there and sketch it out and scope it out like how much are you just playing a part how much are you just like a a a voiceover artist you know and and maybe maybe the bigger picture is that like all of these this is just an internal dialogue that is ultimately a sidecar to The substance of anything at the end of the day who cares ultimately whether I feel authentic or inauthentic or otherwise um but I don't know you just you do wind up kind of thinking about those things when like you are in these situations like you said where you have to like snap in and turn on and like you know put put compartmentalize which is really what a big part of it is right right like I I just had to argument at the coffee place or i I was late to this or i was on a phone call that didn't go well and now i've arrived at my destination i need to you know compartmentalize that put it in a box put it away and say okay i'm here in this moment now but that's like you know that's also to the to the degree that you can cultivate that skill that's a skill that serves us in life too right, right. Like that's not just something you apply to a profession where you speak to other people for your job but that's something you apply to your relationship with your girlfriend you had a bad day at work you come home your girlfriend's there she's wonderful don't be a dick to her put it in a box put it outside the front door and engage with her be in the moment yeah show up yeah it's all easier said than done but
0: it sure yeah it is well i think also f- for your job as a journalist too you are observing a situation and kind of putting your feelings to the side or delaying the feelings because you need to help describe what's going on yeah i mean i
1: and and that that butts up against kind of these age-old questions of objectivity and subjectivity right and like our god this is a this is a four-hour podcast in and of itself just on that topic but like what is the responsibility of journalists? Do they have perspectives? Are they humans? Are they just, you know, just conveyor belts for information and they take information from one source and they ferry it over to another source, which is the ears of the masses and yeah. and, and do that and, and have no no opinion. And um, Do you, you think know,
0: that's even possible? No, of course it's not possible. Um, because we have but our biases and we have everything yeah, that we're coming into I, the situation I, with. I think I think
1: that that part of it is, I, I think, probably something that at this point we're all well attuned to, right? I, I don't think anyone is, is, or I don't think a lot of people are operating under the misconception that, like journalists or robots or newscasters or robots or reporters or robots. Like I, th- I think everyone understands on some level that these are, these are people and that their experiences and, and whatever kind of shade the way they understand things and in turn, the way they, they convey things. I think the the question is like, is it, is it even worth something? Is it something that's worth striving towards, you know, this like pure relaying of, of fact, um, And it's funny because I think the pendulum has kind of the pendulum swings back and forth on this, as as it does with most things, and you kind of overcorrect, and then you go back the other way, and whatever, right? This is the way of life. Then you get to the (laughs) the place we are now in 2018, where we've, and and maybe this is just my perception, but it it feels, and certainly feels like the conversation reflects as much that we've descended into our camps and, and just pure, unadulterated tribalism. And I watch CNN and you watch Fox News and we have just chosen our realities and, and that's that's that. And, and there are completely
0: different movies playing. Completely different
1: completely different movies. So I, I think now at the time advice we said, oh it's crazy this idea of objective truth that we don't want that, it's crazy, what does that serve? And now you sit here in 2018 where Fox News has one truth and CNN has another truth, MSNBC has another and your crazy racist uncle on Facebook has another and you go, "You know what? I would actually love some objective truth. Right. Where can I find that? I would I would just like a steady stream of that into my fucking veins, please. Can I just have some facts?" Um, so, we, you know, I, 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 whether that's a, a function of overcorrecting or a, a function of just a, 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 where we are in, in kind of divisiveness more broadly as a society, I don't know. But it is funny the way like you I, 10 years ago, I would have said, yeah, that's such a stupid pursuit. And now today I go like, yeah, that, if, someone, if someone could figure that out, I'd really love it.
0: That's, yeah. Do you have those kinds of conversations at um, in meetings where you're working now?
1: What conversations?
0: Like the conversations about objectivity and how you're going to cover a story.
1: Yeah, I mean,
0: it, it 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 inevitably comes up, right?
1: And and I'm doing a whole bunch of different TV projects and reporting projects now, some of which are similar to what I've done in the past, like the Nat Geo show I do uh, called Explorer. Um, I still cover a lot of the things I'd probably have covered advice, you know, and was just in Russia doing a story on soccer hooligans in advance of the next World Cup, which is happening in Russia. Fernatio. Fernatchio, there's a great story in Cambodia about these Buddhist monks who are kind of acting as the last line of defense last line of defense against the deforestation of the cambodian forest um where the every, everyone's on the take right the government the cops all the all the would-be guardians of of this this wooded land on the north of the country in the border of vietnam there and it's fallen to these buddhist monks who've become essentially cis and journalists activists and themselves where they're essentially just parading through the through the woods in their orange robes and you know c- catching people illegally logging and and as buddhist monks they're not arresting them they're not berating them they're not certainly not confronting them but i mean they are confronting them but they're confronting them peacefully right they're confronting them and and kind of just counseling them and saying hey can i can I explain to you why what you're doing is a problem? And then kind of just giving a sermon in the woods for two hours about the, you know, the importance of the,
0: of the natural environment. The loggers fall to their knees, look to the sky and say, why have I been doing this? It's, I mean, it's, it's crazy,
1: right? Like on one hand, it's like a very resource intensive way, you know, like it's not scalable. That's not, right. good, you can't port that solution elsewhere. <laughs> it's like a very one-to-one on the ground type, type uh, song. But, but fuck, it works, it just, you know? Just
0: start dropping the Bhagavad Gita yeah. all around the world. All right, read it, everyone.
1: Oh, God, if we'd all be in a better place if we could.
0: Um, I don't know. Maybe, what I'm maybe mushrooms would be a um, more, yeah. more <laughs> rapid entry into uh, the conversation sure. of why we shouldn't cut down all the forests. Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, look, it, inevitably, these conversations are always coming up right at any uh any, any outlet, any show, any platform, any website, any, um, any newspaper, otherwise there's always a conversation around how much of the reporter is a part of the story. And I, I don't, I, I, I don't think there are answers to that. Right. I, I think this is just a, an ongoing conversation. Um, cause I, I, you know, I'm, I, 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 I certainly come from a, a tradition of Um, of being a part of the story in, in a way that felt transparent and inclusive. But I'm also maybe as a result of, of having done that, I'm acutely aware of like when it tips too far, you know, like when I'm watching something and I'm, and, and I've sometimes watched my own pieces and felt this way. But when you're watching something and you go, uh, yeah, can you get the fuck out of the way? like I, i'm actually here for the story about cambodia in the forest not your fucking experience the privileged white dude from brooklyn parachuting into this country for a couple of weeks which is like a, an ultimate thing that you know i i've i've come to realize that i i think probably i realize now in my 30s that i probably didn't realize when i was 22 and doing this which is like <laughs> i mean this is this is part of a, a a realization process you have about your place in the world more broadly. It ain't all about you. You know, you're you're 15 years old. Everything's about you. You're 18 years old. You move to college. You move out of your parents' house. You do whatever, and you go, "Oh, this is weird. It doesn't seem like everyone got the memo that I'm the most important person in the room." I'm-. <laughs> This is, I don't know what broke down here, but let me spend a couple of years trying to convince everyone of it and be special and a unique snowflake. And that's kind of what college is, right? Or at least those college years, uh, whether or not you go to school and then you get into your twenties and, and hopefully some of that starts to, you know, you slug it off a little bit and you go, okay, I'm not the most important person in the room. I, I may not even, um, be, be all that important at all. Um, uh so I, I'm all of that is to say I think I, I I am very sensitive to reporting and stories, my own and other people's, where the reporter is too big of a part of the story, right? I I, I think it's a very delicate needle to thread to find the place where you're You're being a real human in the story and you're engaging with it as a human. You're not pretending to be a robot, but at the same time, you're not turning someone else's experience into your own and you're not dominating a story that is ultimately about you, right? Especially when you are traveling as a guest, right? When you are in Cambodia or you are in Russia or you are in South Africa or wherever you are, that's not your story. I mean, you're, you're reporting it and you're lucky to be there, but that's not your story. And the voices of the people that you're there hearing and the people you're there to meet and the people you get to spend time with, it's a privilege to spend time with those people. And your job at the end of the day, in addition to being real and having authentic, engaged conversation with them, is to get the fuck out of the way, right? Shut the fuck up, to hear them, and to, to, to figure out the kind of vessel that will take their voice and bring it directly into your audience's ears without muting the message or changing the message but just kind of putting it in the appropriate context for you know the audience and wherever you're from to hear these people in their local experience you know that was a great fucking rant was i just talking
0: for 20 minutes it <laughs> <o'clock>?
1: <laughs>
0: it's thursday already Sorry,
1: dude i'm, I'm really and I do that sometimes.
0: Did you get to travel a lot before you started working as a reporter, or was that your first no. kind of slingshot into the world? As you said, that the, you are a guest in these countries, and you are um, tasked with a, a big responsibility of representing people well. Yeah, yeah. It's funny,
1: man. I I, I grew up in New Jersey, and then I moved to. I'd spent you know my parents had moved around at all. I. Grew up uh, in one house for the first 18 years of my life, West Orange, New Jersey. Um, and then when it was time to go to college, I went to NYU, which is all of 15 miles away from my front doorstep. So I, obviously New York is a, a dramatic change from suburban New Jersey. But like I go home whenever I wanted, you know, like I, I it didn't feel my entire world for the first 22 years of it was contained in a 20 mile radius. Um but I did I did a couple things in college that kind of laid the groundwork I think for like the the value of travel which is such a goofy fucking thing to say but um uh I did I started playing in a band right so we we started touring a little bit touring. (laughs) We'd beg people to give us shows in Boston and then we'd drive a van up to Boston and seven people would watch. So to the extent that that is touring, we toured, uh, we sucked. Uh, so I did that. (laughs) And you know, but like, you know, you're even as a shitty band, you're able to, you know, uh, to hook into a community that will put on shows for you in Mississippi and Louisiana and Chicago. And, you know, we did all that. We even toured Europe a, a little bit and, and that was fun and, and invaluable experience, and like gave me the appreciation for travel for sure, but also gave me the appreciation for like, what are things I can do where I can build my life around spending a lot of time with my friends?" You know, Because that's really what that band was. Like none of us were, really thought it was a very good band or that it would be something we did, but we all thought like, "Wow, we're, we're really good friends. We like going out to dinner, or going to the bar together or whatever. In, in college, I, I played in the band, and I was like, oh, okay, so traveling's fun, but also like just having an excuse to hang out with my friends is fun, like for having, a, having a pursuit uh, that puts us all in one room, right? band practice or whatever was really just an excuse to hang out. Um, but then I also did this thing uh, called Road Trip Nation, which was a PBS show. Um, I, I mean, it's 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 a number of different things, and the company still exists, and they're doing unbelievable work now in the education world or whatever. But we we came to it as a PBS show. Uh, it was a documentary that aired on PBS by these three guys who had gone to school and kind of realized, like, oh, I'm I'm remarkably ill prepared to choose what I want to do for a living at 18 years old, which. Yes, of course you are. Everyone is. It's insane that we that as a high school senior is seventeen years old or What are you, old, you gonna do? It's crazy. And then you make these six figure decisions based on your whatever you're feeling at the moment
0: as a seventeen year old.
1: That's insane. That is a that is such
0: a wild system. It's also the only loan that you can take out where you can't file for bankruptcy yeah. <laughs> yeah, that shit haunts you for the rest of your
1: life it's so crazy man and and i i don't know what the percentages is uh, percentages is percentages is uh i don't know what the percentages are but the amount of people who actually end up gaining you know end up pursuing gainful employment in the field that they declared a major in when they were 18 years old like it's got to be fucking minimal. Like, I know it didn't work for me, but, or I mean, it did in a roundabout way, but it's just so crazy. But anyway, so I, we were in college and we saw this movie called Road Trip Nation, me and a couple friends and it was just these guys who went like, yeah, I don't know how to just pick in a vacuum what I want to do for a living. But I, think we can go just ask people who are doing cool shit how they got to where they are um and they just rented this rv and they drove around and they interviewed you know this guy who runs a record label and this guy who you know has an action sports company and this guy who whatever just all these jobs they thought were cool and they just basically said like how'd you do this What's, what's what's the blueprint for this? And got a whole bunch of stories and strung it together in this documentary. Um, and then they got, you know, PBS got interested in it. A few people got interested in it. And they went, okay, great. Let's just turn this into a reoccurring thing. And it's not just our journey, but it's everyone's journey. So they were, while we were sophomores, this is a long story. Woo, Speed it up, Ryan. Uh, while we were sophomores in school, they were looking for the next group of students who would go out on this road trip. So we did that. Um And we got to, me and my friend Randy, who also played in my band, uh, and my friend Mike got in an RV and drove around, and we came to California for the first time. I'd never been to California before. Um, started in Orange County and, and drove out and did a road trip that took us to Seattle to interview the guy who ran Sub Pop Records. And um out to colorado and and all around and kind of the western half of the country which i really hadn't spent much time in at all if if any um and it was great and and also you know i I think a gave me a little bit of of uh, again that little travel bug thing but also gave me my first experience with interviewing people right just conversation a little bit of production too like video cameras and, and figuring out how to use them and mics and stuff like that. So that was when I was 19 or 20, um, sophomore in college and kind of laid the foundation
0: for, for some of the interest that came later. It's interesting that you mentioned student debt because oh. the frightening thing about debt is that it limits your choices, your ability to move laterally in life sure. and go after that dream job um, because you are tied down with debt. And it seems like you, one big theme in your life that I've observed is that it's important for you to be able to have choice, to be able to go cover a story like the coral reefs in Hawaii uh, or the police uh, brutality in New Orleans. Or, you know, you, you really jump around and I can tell that you have an inherent sense of curiosity. And that you've worked to keep that choice present in your life. That is a astute observation. I think it was like two years of
1: therapy before my therapist said something similar to me and just <laughs> nailed it in, in thirty minutes. But yeah, I there's there's uh, I'm serious about that. By the way, uh, the, I, I I have a, a I don't this the, in in another two years of therapy, I'll let you know where it comes from. But somewhere deep in my wiring is a a deep Deep fear of being boxed in. Um, which I, I, I don't, I don't think that's a particularly unique worldview. I don't know anyone who goes, yeah, you know what? i really love, love I'd love to have no fucking choice. Love to be boxed in. Pigeonhole me. Um, but I, I, it's a really, it's, it's a driving force behind a lot of choices that I, I make. Um, and it is. It, it, in, in a lot of ways, choice is the ultimate luxury, right? To operate from a place of want versus operate from a place of need. That is, in a lot of ways, the definition of, of, of um Privilege. Privilege, exactly. Yeah. I don't know why I couldn't think of the word Yeah, to be
0: able or... to ruminate about a lot of these issues that you and I care about is a privilege in and of itself, because 100%. a lot of the people that we go and interview are lower on, ha- on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and they're worried about getting food for themselves today. There's less choice involved in their lives. So, Um I don't know where I was going with that rant, but no, I think that choice is, a, is, a, is an important prism to look at life through.
1: Choice is a privilege, and, and we are both very lucky. I certainly consider myself in, increasingly lucky as I get a wider and wider view on things to to be able to, to operate and move through the world like that, right? To, to make proactive choices instead of, you know, just responding to needs and, and, and scrambling. And, and it's not fucking permanent either you know like I, it, I'm very lucky to live that way today to the to the uh, you know small scale that I do but yeah, you know, that shit can all turn around real fast you know yeah. so
0: you also you also have the opportunity to get these little micro degrees in yeah. a range of different issues yeah I mean that's the old like you know I'm a I'm a uh A shitty
1: suburban lake i'm i'm quite wide i'm man-made quite wide and like 10 inches deep you know like i (laughs) i'm really very interesting for 10 minutes at a time on any given topic and then the worst thing that can happen to me is someone goes oh wow that's really interesting can you tell me more about that and i go no i I can't that was it i just did my spiel on coral or i did my (laughs) spiel on renewable energy like that was it i know i know 10 minutes of it um, so I'm great at parties as long as I keep moving. You yeah. Know? Just circulate around the room. Um, but yeah, look, that that is, that is great. But that's also why, going back to what we were saying before, like you need to be aware. Look, that's great. And like obviously I like to think that I, I do, you know, a good amount of prep and research and I I both before and after stories and I stay with stories and I, I, I'm prepared going into them. But like, you also need to be very aware that like, it doesn't make you a fucking PhD dude, just cause you did four weeks of prep work and someone sent you a binder of materials that you read on the plane. And then you watched a couple videos of something and whatever, like you're going to interview a scientist who's dedicated 50 years of her life to coral reef research, she's the expert. So your role is to shut the fuck up.
0: Yeah, you're the conduit. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like the, the micro degrees are great, but they're also like
0: very, very micro. <laughs> I loved your lake analogy. Yeah, that,
1: that's not mine. Nothing, nothing interesting I say is mine, but I've, I've pulled it from a few different sources. I don't remember who told me the lake thing. You know who told me I think the, the shut the fuck up thing? I don't know if this is true, actually, because I've used it a few times that I might be misattributing it to. But I think you talked to uh, Thomas Morton. I did talk to Thomas. I think Thomas was the one who who told me that, or or maybe I just learned it from watching him or whatever. But like that natural human it, it, interviews get better if you can, um, in some ways, submerge your natural human inclination to just fill dead space right to just always have words your words my words your words my words back and forth because in the absence of you asking a follow-up question people will feel odd (laughs) like people don't like to finish like if i finish this whatever the fuck i'm saying right now and you didn't respond there'd be a little thing in my brain that went oh I didn't I didn't tell Kyle what he was looking for fuck okay so I'll just keep talking and then you keep talking and then you end up saying some shit yeah I don't have anything particularly interesting but if you're talking to someone who does then they end up telling you some shit they shouldn't tell you just in the interest of like okay what does this guy really want from me okay and then I killed the guy actually that's what happened is I killed him and I buried him in my backyard is that what you're looking for and you're like
0: Holy fuck Okay
1: <laughs> So like that's the real I, I just, whether, just wear him down <laughs> Yeah it Just wear him down But wear him down with silence It's not to wear him down With the bulldog yeah. questioning It's just wear him down By just going And waiting for them to just fill that, you know? And whether Thomas told me that or whether we were just talking one night or whether I just watched him be weird in interviews for so many years. Um, But he's very good at that. He's he's, he's not... (laughs) He's completely nonplussed by silence in a room.
0: Yeah, he has a very unique ability to interview people. I've done a lot of research on that dude. Yeah, he's Um, good.
1: I was just at his birthday party in New York last week or two weeks ago nice it was at a
2: uh god
1: true thomas style no one knew it was his birthday i mean i guess i've known him for years i guess i could just remembered it was his birthday but i didn't remember his birthday no one did who remembers birthdays uh facebook that's who i'm not on facebook uh anyway thomas sends a mass text at like five o'clock in the afternoon going first off he sent it to like 10 people i think all of four of them lived in new york i just happened to be in new york at the time so he clearly wasn't trying to have an intended birthday party but he goes yeah so it's my birthday um i'm, I'm told i have to tell people so i'm gonna be at action burger between 11 30 and 12 for an hour it's like a shitty burger place off the Graham Ave stop in williamsburg that has like a completely unlicensed, terrible bar in the back with just like clearly like bought wholesale bottles of liquor that they're serving to children. Like it's just a bizarre, awful place. And you walk in and there's Thomas and three to four friends just standing in the back. And you're like, this is great. Actually, I wouldn't want you to have any other kind of birthday party than this completely bizarre, socially awkward collection of of weird dudes hanging out in the back of a burger joint in Williamsburg.
0: He's very endearing. I heard a quote from someone they were talking about Thomas on TV they said, "Um, Thomas is like a vampire and fame is sunlight. (laughs) That's a pretty
1: good... uh, Yeah, I think social interaction full stop maybe sunlight and fame is sunlight on steroids, but yeah.
0: So let's talk about your therapist, man sure you so you were saying you were saying that you desire choice you fought very hard to keep a range of choice in your life as much as possible, but what's the negative of that is there I mean, a lot of people kind of no. fight to get into positions that you're in no i don't I don't know that there's a a negative
1: uh a negative to that i mean <laughs>
0: I don't know I, I go back and forth
1: Have you ever Gone to a therapist? You're in therapy
0: oh yeah though? Yeah Yeah I started going to a therapist Last year And I was amazed At How Quickly It gave me Permission To Open up Yeah Like, it's gr- I, like Crying in 15 minutes <laughs> I think that we just don't Give ourselves The Permission to, Like Improv's a great example Of that In an improv class, you have permission to be silly Mm. and be wacky and play make believe. But our personalities get flattened as we get older. Most people do because they don't have the spaces to feel permission to be silly. And I Mm. think that similarly, therapy is a space where people have the permission to feel vulnerable.
1: Yes, I agree with all of that. I think the thing that I like better about therapy than improv is uh, that it's private. My problem with improv is I don't want to pay ten dollars to come watch your shitty fucking <laughs> bad joke routine. About you know, like I it, 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 improv makes me makes me cringe. Uh, but look, for other my my band makes other people cringe. Everyone has their own thing. Uh, but yeah, look, ther- therapy. I, I think to anyone who can. Anyone who's lucky enough to be able to afford therapy should be in therapy. I, I, I can't imagine someone moving through this world and going, no, you know what? I'm good. I'm great. I've got it all figured out. At, at, at its most basic level, in the worst return you could possibly get from therapy, you get to talk about yourself for 45 minutes with no judgments once a week. Great. Great. Even if that's the only way you engage with it, there is benefit to that. Because even even if you're talking to a cat, at a certain point, if you just talk for 45 minutes, you're going to go, oh, I didn't really realize I felt that way. Or I hadn't really said it that way. And that makes me rethink things or whatever. And of course, that's not what it is. You actually get feedback and you get someone uh, with a little bit more perspective or a different perspective, you know, reflecting back some of the things you've said in interesting ways. My issue with... My last therapist, and I haven't found a good one in LA yet. So if you have any recommendations, I'm open, but, uh, is I was doing like this kind of Buddhist psychotherapy thing, which is, is very helpful in a lot of respects, but it's also like, it's very at its core kind of underlying philosophy. It is very kind and is very forgiving. Right. And it's very understanding and it's, it's you know, there's not a lot of interest in like assigning blame, you know, um, which is really nice, but it's also like, there's a little bit of it that like, for me, I was like, yeah, but like, I,
0: but sometimes people suck, you know, Yeah,
1: but but, like sometimes I suck, you know, like that's kind of what I wanted out of it. Oh, here you go. I thought I lost my ring. Um, you know, like I, I I don't know. This is rambling sidebar but like i i feel like i need to be called on my shit sometimes and i feel like i that's something i personally everyone wants different things from an interaction with a therapist and there's a million different types of therapy out there and you can get whatever you need i felt like for me i needed a little bit more of a stronger hand right than than um than what i was getting towards the end and i think towards the beginning of when i was seeing this woman i was getting exactly what i needed which is just like someone to listen and tell me it's not at all as bad as I thought it was. But towards the end as I started to make some progress. I was like, yeah, but I, I'm, I'm kind of being a shitty dude there. And there was a lot of like, well, you know, you, you don't, you don't have to blame yourself and it's not, you know, you don't, there's not necessarily a value judgment on that action. I'm like, yeah, you no, know, there, sometimes there is a value judgment. <laughs> right. it, value judgment is yeah. that was a, a, a bit of shitty behavior and I need to know that and not do it again.
0: Um, anyway why the fuck did we start talking about this? i don't know sorry no it's good yeah, i love this it's a highly tangential podcast oh, we Christ. kind of just throw it out there and mm. uh and see where it goes <laughs> um well, <laughs> <laughs> you know you do realize that
1: a podcast is an audio format so the fact that you just petted a cat's <laughs> head and said meow people are just gonna think you had a breakdown <laughs> That you just looked at me across the table, just two dudes in a room, and just meowed at me. Right. There's not a cat
0: here, by the way, guys. I always do animal voices on the podcast. He was... Yeah, all right. What keeps you in it, man? You've been doing this for a while. Oh, God. Um,
1: That's a good question. Uh, I mean, I legitimately like it. I've never once... Well, that's not true. You, you, there are always moments. I am sure anyone doing anything where you go like, "Oh, I am just not up for it today." But on the whole, I am. I've never not been super, super, super grateful um, to do what I do. And it is also, and this is such a trite thing to say because uh, it's just been said so many times, but like, there is this is back to the like not feeling boxed in thing. Like the way that manifests in this job is that like I am in, we keep talking about corals so my head keeps going there. I'm in Hawaii doing a coral reef thing one day and then I'm in Cambodia doing a thing in the forest. And then I'm in the Philippines doing a thing on the drug war. And it's just like, those are three very different pieces with three very different characters and three very different stories to be told and different things that they ask of me. And like, that's not feeling boxed in, right? That's something new and different every day. And that feels, you know, that feels, that doesn't feel, you know, I've been doing this quote unquote for 13 years or whatever it doesn't feel like that right because each one of these stories feels like a different job each one of these shows feels like a different job and they are you know it's not it's not 13 years of going to the same office and parking the same spot and, and whatever and that's not to cast dispersions on that this is great value a routine too but just if you're someone who doesn't like to feel boxed in then, then I, I think you're always going to appreciate the opportunity to parachute in and have these little micro degrees and in a whole bunch of different shit you know
0: given the array of issues that you've covered over the years have you found that you have a proclivity towards certain types of issues at this point yeah it's interesting because that evolves too right i i think
1: i think when i was younger uh younger and dumber i i liked a lot of Conflict, you know. I liked a lot of action um, in the stories I told for a variety of reasons. I think when you're, you know, I was a, a young adrenaline-filled dude running around, and I liked stories that made me feel alive and dangerous and all that kind of cheesy stuff. And I also think it's, in some respects, even though those things are more dangerous, they're a little bit easier as a as a reporter too because your job is basically to go stand somewhere dangerous and point over your shoulder and go holy shit look at this and then duck and watch out for the rubber bullets and you don't really have to do much to sell that story right there's not a lot of nuance to that that's this thing's on fire behind me and we're all fucked um i think as you get a little more experience and you want greater challenges as a as a journalist or or reporter or whatever um I think you start to get into some more character-led things. You start to get into some areas that are less about burning fires and more about uh, gray ethical areas, right? Areas where there aren't necessarily good guys and bad guys and white hats and black hats. But there's really tough decisions being made and and you can kind of see where these people are coming from and where these people are coming from and you're trying to parse it down the middle like that's a that's a, a weighty kind of intellectual exercise and i think that stuff starts to get a little bit more um more interesting to me now um and maybe I'm just (laughs) fucking too old and set my ways to go to conflict zones anymore. I don't know. Maybe that's part of it too. And I'm just justifying it with this other horse shit, but are you uh, thinking of a specific story? Um, no, I mean, I'm thinking of, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I did this whole series called, uh, now what, which was essentially like, you know, the premise of that show was, hey, look, we've all agreed upon these these huge evergreen problems that we're up against in the world. Right. We're, and, and and those problems are the ones we all know. They're 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 the undergirding of the headlines we see every day, whether it's poverty, which is at the at the heart of a story we're telling about this particular inner city or whether it's um, the environment, which is at the undergirding of this, or whether it's migration or whether it's food supply. Right. Like there are these huge issues that have been issues for 10 plus years um, Even the It's so funny We keep coming back to Coral Why Who brought up Coral first Was it I'm you I'm sure I did? did Was it you But like So this woman For that uh, For that series We did an episode With this woman Ruth Gates Yeah um, Do you know Ruth I not personally But I know who she is She's uh, fantastic right uh and her her whole thing this is a dramatically oversimplified version of like a very complex and and rigorously scientifically researched feeling is her feeling is essentially uh time the shitter get off the pot re coral right like uh, there's, there's no more time for discourse we're, we are losing the world supply of coral and i'm getting in the fucking ocean and i'm doing something about it and to a lot of people they were going whoa you are doubling down on the problem the whole problem is that man interfered with the natural order of things and you're getting in there kind of engineering coral in a way that is just replicating the, the problem that caught us here in the first place which is a perspective i understand on the other hand i understand ruth's perspective which is yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine in in theory and in concept. But in practice, we have passed the point of no return. And if we don't act now, then... You know, uh, we we are we are not going to be able to do anything in the future once we once we go through the process of scientific consensus and the slow moving academia that needs to support a decision and a resolution to do this and this is the way forward. It's like we just don't have that time.
0: And the fact that we're in the Anthropocene and we and humans are having such major effects on environmental ecosystems thing, across right? sectors, you can't say like, well, we're just gonna take a step back here and see right. what happens, right? right this is right, right. a big conflict in, uh, of conversation in Hawaii as well around uh, eradicating pig populations, which mm-hmm. have massive soil degradation, which also is impacting coral. Um, it basically serves as this blanket that suffocates yeah. coral. Um, so some people say, well, we should eradicate the pigs. We should we should get rid of them. But others are like, well, no, well, let's... Well, let's yeah. not do anything. They're like, "Yeah, but we brought the pigs here. Yeah. Well, yeah, but we brought everything to uh, an island like to Kauai. Hawaii.
1: Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, did you read the the Times Magazine had a really interesting cover story last Sunday? I remember Sunday before one of these last couple of weeks. But essentially, on the the endangered species list, right? And they they asked the you know slightly provocative question, which is like. Are we sure we want to save all these guys? We're sure about that? Have we really, like, we've we've really considered that? Or we're just kind of doing that as a knee-jerk reaction to the idea that, like, you know, the Endangered Species Act mandates that if, if a species winds up on it, then we are, you know, obligated uh, to protect it. Which, again, philosophically is, is is right, right? On some level, that feels right, of course, to us, Um but it's it's a blanket solution to a lot of very specific problems and you know species die off right like are are, are we actually again this is back to this theme we talked about earlier of over correction and the pendulum swing but like have we <laughs> we fucked up the world irrevocably are we now in our efforts to save it to the extent we're even engaged in those efforts but we're at least talking about them are we overcorrecting that to the point where we are now saving species that actually maybe in the natural order of things just are meant to die off and we should (laughs) we should double those we should take the resources that would be spread out across these 10 and apply it to these three that are you know um that have long tail effects and
0: you know are are Top whatever. top predators and have yeah. a tropic cascade and effect on the rec- rest of the Those ecosystem. Are all the that words kind of smart I was
1: looking for. Yeah.
0: Right. Well, uh, I I've never considered that though because I I've always you should read the Times article. It is 300 to 400 times
1: smarter than whatever.
0: Well, I'd like to I because said. I've always had the knee jerk reaction of yeah, of course we should save species because every time we lose one, the world loses a little loses a little bit of vibrancy that's always been my i think it is on the counter behind me i will send it off with you as a parting
1: gift i would love to check it out but um by the way that's... i have like 10 minutes i think okay um okay. i'll get I, I appreciate to, you take, not to, taking not to the rush time you, but just i don't want to, I, if there's a, like a particular thing you want to touch on we should we should get to it soon <laughs> mm-hmm. very important
0: person i I'm going to go for a run are you nice um no, I really don't. I, I <laughs> Good. very much... No, that's great, man. I very I, much I didn't mean wanted to interrupt to s- your flow. No, no. I, um, you know, I very much wanted to sit down with you. I said before because you had a big influence on me when I was younger. I think that I got permission uh, from a lot of your early stories to go out uh, and, and get thrown into the frying pan and make a bunch of shitty documentaries for a few years.
1: It's so weird to be old enough that someone can say that to you you had an influence on me when I was younger, but like, I, I mean, thank you. I, I, I said, thank you, uh, before. And now it just sounds like I'm full of myself because I didn't say thank you. Thank you. That does mean a lot to me. Um, but it's so weird, man. Like I, I you're 28. I, I just turned 36. Um, and like, I get, this is such a fucking lazy observation, but like, god you go from being the new young disruptor type guy to being the old guard real fast real fucking fast and like right around the age that you are like i felt like i was in my 20s for the you know time I was, I was doing this kind of stuff going like yeah we're the we're the new guys we're figuring out this new way to do this and you know full of bravado and bullshit and then all of a sudden you wake up and you're like i'm in my mid-30s and like all these kids, these young twenty-something-year-olds, and these young YouTubers, and these young guys, and these people doing podcasts and these whatever—they're me. And I, what am I now? I'm 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 the guy who's being disrupted. I'm I'm the guy that I used to look at on CNN. <laughs> not that I'm on CNN. Uh, and go like, ah, I'm coming to take that guy's fucking you know whatever, right? Like that. I, I'm on the other side of that equation now, and that's like a a whole new a whole new challenge, right, of, like, how to stay, how to stay, the word isn't relevant, the word my brain keeps wanting to say is relevant, but that's not really it, it's, like, how to, how to stay plugged in, how to stay modern, how to stay hungry, maybe it's hungry a little bit more, right, um, and again, this goes back to something we were talking about before with, like, the balance of, like, getting good at something versus get good enough to be comfortable and kind of shifting into autopilot. Um, so I think it's just a little bit of that, but it's like, I just like, I, am I've, I've felt really aware recently that like the way I did th- the way I learned how to do things or didn't learn the way we kind of figured out on the fly, how to do things, um, is, is a way that has started to Feel pretty dated, you know. Like I, I, I don't, I don't think I could get by anymore just running, running back the same playbook, you know. Nor would I want to. Um, so just making sure that I'm, I'm staying immersed in a community more broadly that challenges me, right? That that has new ideas on how to do things that are uncomfortable to me, and like living with that uncomfortability and working through it and like being willing to be the old guy who is learning from younger people as opposed to the other way around. But like, it's just, it's, I I don't feel like the old guy yet, but I, I, I mean, I, I,
0: I'm getting there, you know, I'm in my mid thirties. Hey, my dad's in his mid seventies. He's still getting up at 5am playing racquetball. Really? That's great. What do you, what part of it do you like most?
1: Um, I th- think just a, a, you know, this is, this is not a, uh, particularly unique answer, but it's, it's the, it's meeting a whole bunch of different people. Right. Um, and the amount of, like, I think it's interesting. I'm always interested when people say, uh, you read on so many people's fucking God, this is such a, such a boring gripe but you read on so many people's like instagram bio like travel traveler world wanderer (laughs) like travel lust and you're like first off just don't fucking do that but uh but secondly like i'm always curious like what 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 is it that you really like like really like break it down like what is it that you like about traveling is it is it you like to have this passport that has a lot of different stamps because it, it validates something that you've done and it gives you personal mementos and whatever. That's cool. Is it because you'd like to take photos at different places? Is it because you like eating different cuisine? Is it, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 suspect the answers vary. I'm not sure everyone necessarily critically thinks about it, who puts it in their Instagram bio, but I think for me, what it's really drilled down to when I've, I've, question myself on that because the question becomes like why do you keep doing this right i think it is it's the people more than the places or or anything else it's like the chance to meet all these different people with dramatically different experiences perspectives worldviews like you really realize like the fucking breadth of human experience is so vast, so fucking vast. Um, like the things that keep you and I up that we worry about are literally alien concerns to other people and vice versa. Right. And, 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 and hundreds of times over all over the world. Um, but at the same time, there are uh, sounds a little quaint but like there are these commonalities but there are you know there are common things that we want as humans and and one of those things on, on for for most people is connection right on a very basic level you do want connection um and when you can forge that connection with someone who who does have a completely and totally alien life experience to you and you are only crossing paths for this brief moment of time when you're in their country or they're in yours or whatever and you're both focused on the same thing for these six days that's crazy that is i will never ever ever stop thinking that that is a phenomenal experience in life and, like probably, for my money, the best experience you can have
0: man, thank you so much for taking the time. dude, thank you. really enjoy the conversation. yeah, man
1: is that, is that... now I'm making animal. no, boxes. you're good.
0: Do you like people mm-hmm. to get in touch with you or are you uh, are you hiding uh, out at the moment?
1: I mean I generally hide um, no I mean my my uh, I, I'm relatively this, this is where I actually do feel old uh, I'm relatively social media Averse um, I'm not on Facebook, I'm not on Twitter uh, um, I am on Instagram Which is Ryan Duffy um, And I'm hosting new episodes of Explorer uh, Which premieres in October The new season uh, And I have a bunch of shows In the works right now and other projects And docs and stuff like that That uh, as they roll out I'll be announcing on Instagram Right on, man. Thanks again, Kyle. Thanks, man. Pleasure.
0: That's our show, everyone. I'm going to play you out with a song called "Flashing Lights" by a band known as Sourgrass. These guys listened to the podcast. They sent me some tunes, and I will link to their band page in the show notes under Ryan's episode on my website, Kyle.Surf/Podcast. Once again, this is a donation-based podcast. So if you can support it with five bucks, ten bucks a month, the equivalent of buying me a cup of coffee every month, I will be so grateful and I will never have to ask for a donation ever again and if you can't donate seriously just don't stress on it keep enjoying the show share it with a friend give it a rating on, on uh, iTunes it really does help other people find the show and it takes you two minutes alright I'm gonna shut up now I hope you enjoy this song I'll see you next week get outside give someone a high five get in the water if you can and have a beautiful day